to your words, that we, your people, might be blessed. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Thanks, Don. And shout out Ryan in the back. He's the reason I'm actually here, because he was the one that invited me to youth group. And I was like, yeah, sure, I come. I'll know, I know a couple of the guys. And four years later, here I am. So shout out Ryan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love you. But so Don gave you a little bit of my backstory, how I got here. Um, another huge thing is my wife and I, Amy, just celebrated our one year last week. So that's been awesome. And I married Amy Carpenter, now Gosho, and that's the grace of God, and that's basically my message today. So that's, <laughs> that's the fullness of grace right there. But we just celebrated our one year, which is awesome, and we've been loving it, uh, just being able to serve here. And um, the interns, I don't know how to follow up FFM News, but um, they're legends. <laughs> but this Grace series has been amazing too. Um, Eli and Bre Eli's coming up, but Breno and Devin and Don, I just want to give them a hand real quick too. Um, this Grace series has been amazing for me, um, and getting to speak with it with my brothers has been an honor. So, real quick, I want to go back to the last five weeks and just kind of reiterate what they've spoken as we continue on this Grace journey, um, because. Don brought us out with grace is more than enough. Grace has everything to do with redemption. Grace started with an invitation. Do you trust me? Grace is far greater than all of our sin, and that grace is not only something to receive, but to give. And this morning, what we're going to continue with is that grace is offered and not earned. Everyone say, grace is offered and not earned. Amen. So if you're here this morning and you don't know what God's grace is, this is a sermon for you. If you're here and you have received God's grace, we're going to keep talking about how to give that to the people around us. And if you're here struggling to give God's grace to those around you, this sermon is also for you. Come on. And if you're already perfect, this sermon is especially for you. So to set the scene real quick, everyone turn with me to John 1.14. And while you do that, I just want to explain and set the scene for grace. Uh, and the, as we go into the New Testament, where we see the church, the nation of Israel, is um, what looks to be like the grace of God failing. Israel has gone back and forth between uh, following the Lord and not following the Lord. And in Jeremiah, they're actually enslaved back into the very land that God started his covenant with Abraham. All the way back to the beginning, and now they're enslaved again, and they haven't gotten anywhere. But once again, as they chase the things of the world and ran from God and in, find themselves in, in captivity again, once again, God gives them a promise that he's not done with them. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. Jeremiah 10, 29, 11. Everyone knows I have a plan for you. I have a hope and a future. He promises them after 70 years, I'm going to bring you from captivity. And he still continues, even after it seems like his grace has failed, to give them a promise of I'm not done with you. And so in this, after 70 years, exactly like God promised, they leave their captivity. 
just like Abraham. They left the land they were at into the land God promised them. And once again, like a teeter-totter at recess, they go back between following the Lord and not following him. And as we get into the New Testament, this is where we find them, still struggling to keep the pagans at bay, still struggling to follow the Lord and not the other gods that are surrounding them. So this is when we come to John. There's 400 years of silence, and then we come to John. We come to Matthew, but we come to the gospel where Jesus enters the scene. So John 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16 is, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We have all received grace upon grace. But when God's word became flesh, what we find is that his grace becomes inviting to the unrighteous and threatening to the righteous. I'm going to say that again. But when God's word became flesh, what we find is that grace becomes inviting to the unrighteous and threatening to the self-righteous. So let me show you. I'm going to start with a man named Levi, also called Matthew, uh, soon to be one of Jesus' disciples. But what we find him is he's from the tribe of Levi, hence his name Levi. The tribe of Levi was the one tribe when the nation of Israel was at Mount Sinai that didn't worship the golden calf that they created. So they were inherited with uh, the job of being the priest, the one that would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, that would make atonement for sin. He had expectations on his life. Being born into this tribe didn't mean you're going to go sell things at the market. You were meant to be a priest. You had an inheritance. And when he was born, they already knew, everyone around him, this is what you're going to be. And I think those expectations are what he ran from. Because what Matthew chooses to do is be a tax collector. For us, at least for me, someone being a tax collector and like reading about that, it doesn't connect for me because we don't really have tax collectors. But I know no one likes to pay taxes and we can all resonate with that. But it was a little bit different back then because uh, not only was he supposed to be a priest and he chose to be a tax collector, but in Capernaum where he lived, um, he would have had to sell the land that he did have, uh, which is to them selling your covenant with the Lord because that was the promised land he had inherited that God had given them. So not only did he sell that for a tax booth, but on top of that, He stayed in the same area, so that means the people he was taxing were the very ones he grew up with that gave him those expectations. I can't imagine those meetings were very friendly. And on top of that, he was stealing from his, those very people he knew. Because taxes back then, you would tax what the Roman Empire demanded, and on top of that would be your salary. So basically, whatever I wanted to make this month, that's how much I would tax. So if you can imagine Matthew's life living in Capernaum, going from supposed to be priest to tax collector, um, he wasn't very liked. There had to be a storm cloud of shame that just resonated over him with everyone he talked to. Matthew was not 
Um, he was chasing something, but the shame that went with it and the rejection he received um, had to be just terrible. And then came Jesus. And everyone say, then came Jesus. What's interesting, it's likely Matthew knew about Jesus before they actually met. See, Capernaum is like the fishing hub of the nation, and it's also like the Jewish uh, capital, the Jewish hub of the nation. And so uh, what's interesting is in Matthew 4, 13, we see that's actually Jesus' home. Matthew 4, 13 says, And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So when Jesus goes to start his ministry from chapter 4 to where he meets Matthew in chapter 9, he would have been starting a ruckus that everyone would have known about. From those verses, everything it talks about, Matthew talked to everyone there. He had to collect taxes from everyone. And even though they didn't like him, he had to have heard of Jesus. There's no way you couldn't. After everything, Jesus shook up. Matthew had to have been intrigued by what Jesus was speaking, intrigued by what he was talking about, what he was bringing. So in Matthew 9, this is where we see Jesus becoming inviting and intriguing to the unrighteous, but threatening to the self-righteous. This is where self-righteousness and unrighteousness came into contact with grace. So Matthew 9, where we see them meet right before, same day, right before, this is where we see Jesus shaking everything. Matthew 9, 1 says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city, Capernaum. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now I want to take a minute because the people just carried this paralytic on a bed and they actually lowered him through the roof. And what Jesus said was, your sins are forgiven. What these people were looking for were like, you see him lying on the bed. I'm looking for healing. I'm not looking for my sins are forgiven. At that moment, they had to like take a minute and be like, this wasn't, this wasn't what we came all the way out here for. They believed the priest could atone for sin. So for a minute, they had to be like, that's not quite what I was looking for. And behold, some of the scribes said to, the sem, said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? See, at the same time, the people that lowered him were questioning, that's not quite what I was looking for. The scribes were asking, only God can do that. You're not, they saw Jesus as a man. You're not allowed to say that. And you can't do that. So in a moment, he shook two sides of the coin, the unrighteous and the righteous, and shook everything they believed. In a moment. Because in a sentence, he upsets both of their religion and shakes it to the core because he says what only God could say, and then he does what only God can do. The next verse is he says, For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
Then he says to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and walk. In a moment, he does what only God can do, and he says what only God can do. And everyone in that room would have known this authority he has is different. It was intriguing to them. And to the self-righteous, it was threatening because they still didn't believe Jesus was God. And that's what grace does. Grace says what only God can say and does what only God can do. But when you get an unhindered revelation of God, it shakes you to the core and you might have questions. If I was there, I would have had questions. Doing what Jesus did hasn't been done before. Healing like only God can do, saying what only God can say. No man has done that yet because Jesus just arrived. It shakes you. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Manti Teo, but he's, everyone knows the biggest catfish story in history. And when you say that name, there's a, like a pity you feel, like you feel so bad for that man. We watched a documentary soon about him, and it's interesting to see the man he was because I only saw he's the guy that got catfished. Like you can't take him serious, you know what I mean? But he's this nice guy from the islands, uh, following his faith, um, not a big partier. He's playing football, doing what his parents taught him. He was disciplined, and he worked hard for what he had. And then we all know the story, and it was actually a man called Renaya that started a family that had different voices, that started this catfishing story I think it was his junior year and so it's just built and built and built and when you see behind the scenes of how manipulated and how much work went into this story you're like this is messed up like this is an innocent guy playing football for this is his dream like this is the only way he got to go to college was football by working hard And you see this story develop and you feel bad for him of like what's happening to him. And you see what ends up happening when the story finally comes out and they have the national championship game, which I know we have some Notre Dame fans, so I won't talk about it too much, but they got beat very badly. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring that up. (laughs) Alabama beat them, but, but um, what went from a first round draft pick, a Heisman runner up about to make millions of dollars, because if you don't know, the first round of the draft is much different from the second for the payout. So what he had, when the story came out, what he ended up getting was, he did get picked, it's like the last pick in the second round, but when he finally made it to the NFL, he has this huge storm cloud over him. And not only that, but the anxiety he has to face of everyone when he walked in the room before would be like, that's Manti Teo, like, I need your picture, I need your autograph. This was a star. And now it was this whisper of like, that's Manti Teo. Like, you know what happened to him. It's like his dignity was gone. But what's interesting is at the end of this, when they talk about his professional career and how things just didn't turn out how it could have, he talks about Renaya. And what's interesting is at the very end of the documentary, what he says is, Renai, if you're watching this, I want you to know I forgive you. 
Someone that took everything, all the, the dreams of this man, one person, how the effect he had is, um, you don't see it in the sports world. That's the story you talk about. And the man that took everything from him, he was the man that man Titeo says, if you're watching this, I forgive you. This shakes you. I have questions. I'd be like, are you sure? I don't know if I could do that. But it shakes you, and that's grace because it's like you don't quite understand it, but when you do, it's like you have questions. Like, are you sure? I think Matthew would have had questions. What would Jesus say to a man who sold his soul to Rome to steal from his countrymen? Matthew was rejected by everything, by everyone. But Jesus was intriguingly different. There was something different about this message of grace. Because see, where he grew up, the self-righteous saw themselves better than the admittedly unrighteous. And the unrighteous felt judged by the so-called righteous. And they were together in church. Which I don't think has changed a ton to present day. Because see, the self-righteous were chasing the sinners away. And the sinners' shame kept them running. Matthew was running. Matthew was running from his expectations. He was running from the graceless religion he encountered. But see, in Matthew 9, we see something change. Change drastically. Because it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And what he said to him was, follow me. And he rose and followed him. He said two words, follow me. Matthew knew about Jesus because if somebody walked in and just said, follow me, I don't know who you are. I'm not going to follow you. See, Matthew knew about Jesus. He was intrigued. And when Jesus walked by, he knew. He knew the miracles he was doing. And see, he would have known scripture. He would have known the prophecies of this man to come. And I think when, Matt, or when Jesus passed by Matthew's booth and he looked at him, he came face to face with the fullness of grace and truth. Yep. And what he said was, follow me. And Matthew went. Because yep. he knew. Jesus was different. His grace was different. And this is where we find Jesus. Jesus with the tax collectors and sinners. He went and dined at Matthew's house. And Matthew invited all his friends which were tax collectors and sinners, the one that didn't reject him. That's where we find Jesus, with the tax collectors and with the sinners. And his disciples were there. And once again, we see him shaking up the self-righteous because the, the scribes and the Pharisees were like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing there with them? Dining with them. And what else is interesting is See, Peter and Andrew, James and John, the sons of thunder, they were already following Jesus. They were in that, in that house with Jesus, with the tax collectors and the sinners. But see, they would have had to pay taxes to Matthew. See, they had to have had those encounters with the one that they knew were stealing from him. They would have been the ones rejecting him as well. They weren't friends with him before this. And when Jesus calls them and he sees them follow them, 
at some point, I know I would have taken Jesus aside and been like, do you know who you just called? Do you know he's, he's the one stealing from us? He's the one that le- left everything. He's the one. But see, Jesus came to show a graceless religion, God's true heart and love for everyone. Those in need of hope, those in need of purpose, those in need of freedom, those in need of God's love, that's who he came for. And see, the reason the Bible never hides the sin of God's people is because the depths grace reaches reveals the power grace possesses. The reason the Bible never hides the sin of God's people is because the depths grace reaches reveals the power grace possesses. Let me show you. Paul, the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament, was the very man who killed the Jewish priest the Jewish people he is now preaching to. God's chosen man to spread his gospel of grace was the one who killed them. That is the point. God offered grace where it was never earned. David will have forever have his sin pinned into God's word. Forever. Imagine having your sin penned into the Bible in over five different places. Everyone can read what you've done. Everyone knows. Yeah, they call David the man after God's own heart. David's story is the point of the Bible. God offered grace where it was never earned. Matthew, the man who knew what he was called to do, ran the opposite way into the riches of the Roman Empire. And yet God used Matthew to pen his gospel to without a doubt reveal to the very people that denied him and rejected him that Jesus, the one he chose to follow, is the one that they prophesied about. He's the one. Matthew was chosen. His lineage was for the Jewish people to see God, Jesus was who he says he was. God had a purpose for Matthew before Matthew knew ever, knew, ever knew Jesus was on earth. God offered grace where it was never earned. In my life, like Don said, four years ago I showed up here. I tried everything. I was at church. I was on the worship team. I had gotten baptized. But I had some hurts in my past. I put a steel cage around my heart. I wouldn't let Jesus in. I wouldn't let anybody else in. I ran to everything else to try and fill something that I wouldn't let God fill in my heart. But I tried. I would read the word. I went to the youth conferences. I would try so hard to follow the Lord. Follow him to the point till he got to that steel cage. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'll follow you this far. And I need your help, but, I, but this far. That was too much of a cost. So I ran from the expectations I had on my life. I grew up in church. I knew what I was supposed to do. I ran from that. But you know what? Four years ago, I finally got to the point of trying so hard to follow the Lord, to let him heal what was broken. Four years ago, I finally was just fed up and said, Lord, I can't do this. I need help. I dropped that steel cage. That's when everything changed. Because finally for a moment, what I couldn't do, what I could never earn, Jesus offered me in a moment his grace that shook me. It shook my life to where it looked like from the relationship I was in, the church I was at, sports was my idol. 
and I got a cyst in my shoulder that stopped everything. I didn't have sports. And when I finally gave everything to Jesus, what he, what he shook me and what he changed was everything. I knew I had to follow him with everything. So I dropped everything I had. I dropped everything. And that was the point when his grace offered me, who was running from him, knowingly running from him. I dropped it all. And his grace said, follow me. And he forgot all of it. Jesus is forever extending grace to the outcast and rejected, to those like David, Paul, Matthew, and me. We see that God's grace is offered, not earned. I never earned that. Those men in the Bible never earned that. But it's the depth grace reaches that reveals the power grace possesses, and no one reached further than Jesus. From his seat in heaven with God, he came down to a, sinless and bro- to a sinful and broken world. He left everything to bring his redeeming grace forever, to offer his redeeming grace forever. He left everything. Jesus didn't stop at the tax collectors. Because as we follow Jesus, we see religious leaders threatened by his message of grace. And we know the story. They put him on the cross. Threatened, so threatened by his grace, they put him on the cross and crucified him. This is the point of the story. This is who God died for. Not just the tax collectors, but the righteous ones who turn your stomach at their hypocrisy, the graceless religion. This is who he came for. This is the point of the story. He died for them. And he died for the tax collectors. You have done nothing to earn God's grace. I know I haven't. So if you're lost today, Jesus is who you're looking for. He has a grace. That's what you're looking for. He brings the full measure of grace and truth. God loves to use what was broken to carry the gospel of grace. It's the point of the story. Your story, wherever you're at, is the point of the story. God's not going to hide anything you've done. Why? Because where he reaches to get you is going to proclaim his gospel to the one that needs grace. He doesn't want you to hide what you've done. He wants you to bring it to him because he wants to show you the redemption that he can bring. So you might think what you've done is more than anyone could forgive. But see, that's what God points to and says, I want to use that right there to show the world how far my grace reaches. He wants to redeem your life in a way that gives him glory, in the way that that I can stand up here now and proclaim to you guys, I gave God everything. I tried so hard to earn God's grace, and I couldn't. And I came to the end of myself, and Jesus offered me grace. He didn't offer me condemnation. He said, I have grace for you, and I want to redeem your life. And I get to be up here, and I married Amy Carpenter. Once again, that's grace. That's, that's about it right there. He redeemed my life in so many ways. He flipped everything over and said, yes, this has been done to you, but this is what I'm going to do through you. He knew what was done. He knew what I did, but he said, this is what I want to do. 
You might be scared of the expectations, just like Matthew. You might have grown up in church or in religion that says, I've called you, the religion says, I've called you to be a pastor, or you're supposed to go serve in youth ministry, or uh, I know the calling in your life to go be a missionary because that's the family you grew up in. See, a lot of us have expectations at a young age put on us, and a lot of us, I think, run from those. One, because we could be afraid to fail. I know I was. You'd be so afraid to fail because you know the grace that you are scared to not receive. See, if you mess up, then you can be met with condemnation of like, hey, you failed. And that becomes your identity. You can be so scared of that that you run from the very thing that's offering you grace. Or maybe you've been hurt by graceless religion. Maybe you've grown up and they rejected you because of your failings, because of your shortcomings, what you did wrong. They saw it and were like, no, we can't work with you. See, Jesus upset everything. The very people that got rejected, and you might be here today, and you know that feeling of rejection, where you failed, where you ran from, you know what that feels like. Jesus is here to offer you grace. Just like Matthew, just like Paul, just like David, just like me. This morning, God has offered his grace to you. But he doesn't force you to take it. This grace is offered, and I encourage you not to leave this place without accepting and responding to that offer. If there's someone this morning that you need to extend grace to, do it this morning. If you've been running from the expectations that you have on your life, afraid to fail, God is here to offer you his grace that empowers you to move forward, that redeems your life, to use it for a purpose. There's a reason you're still here. And if you've been searching for a long time this morning to find what this life is all about, to find purpose, to find healing, Jesus is here to extend his grace for you that you never earned. It's been offered to you. It's been offered to you, and I think that's so significant because no one here is perfect. We have the unrighteous and the righteous that can chase each other away. But see, Jesus is here with something different. And if you have questions this morning, I have questions too. See, how did... How did Jesus specifically walk by Matthew's booth? He knew he was going to call Matthew before he ever passed his booth. He knew where he was healing in Capernaum. And after he shook up religion, see, in his mind is, I'm going to go get Matthew, the one rejected. I'm going for him. And this morning, God's been chasing you. And if you're wondering if you've been what you've been running from, whether it's your expectations or what you've done, Jesus has come for you. This might be your first Sunday here. This message was for you because God is chasing you. See, he comes with this offer of grace, but it's not a passive offer. It's yours to take, yours to choose, but Jesus is intentionally coming after you because he loves you and he knows the purpose that he's put on your life. See, Jesus is intentionally bringing you his offer of grace, whether it's to extend to the people around you 
or whether it's to receive in your heart to let God heal and to let his purpose in your life come to fruition. God's grace is more than just forgiveness. It's healing. It's redeeming. It's loving. And that power is only found through Jesus. He is the way. He is the light. And now it's found in the very people that receive him. We get to be vessels to extend that grace. That grace is real. I believe that grace was shown through Manti Teo. That grace that shakes you that you don't understand. That grace the, peer, the person did not deserve. The person that hurt you did not deserve grace. That's Jesus' grace that he offers to those very people. And he can offer it through you. His power is in us. His grace is in us that we get to extend to this world. This grace is different. It's going to be intriguing to the ones that don't know anything about it. And to the self-righteous, when you walk this out, they're going to have questions. Do you know who you're talking to? And you can say, yes, I do. Because that's where you find Jesus. That's where you find Jesus, offering his grace, forever offering his grace. So this morning, I want you to respond to that. Worship team can come up. This morning, this offer is here. It has been intentionally brought through this whole series. This is part six. We're over halfway through. And we're still unpacking what God's grace is. See, it's more than just his forgiveness. His grace is redeeming. His grace has a power to heal your heart no matter how deep, no matter how young you were, no matter how innocent you were. You didn't ask for a lot of what this life has brought. But see, Jesus is here to bring you grace because that's not the end. What God has brought, the forgiveness that he brings, the redemption, his revelation of his grace is intentionally brought to each one of us to choose. And just like Matthew, that's my prayer for all of us, is when Jesus walks by the booth, when you come face to face and encounter the fullness of grace and truth, I want our response to be to follow. When he says follow you, when he invites you and says follow me, what's behind that follow me is a grace and a love to meet exactly where we're at. That invitation has more purpose and more love behind it than merely walking to follow him. This is, a, this is a lifelong grace that we need. I still don't earn it. None of us still earn it. And this is the grace he still offers daily. Eli is going to bring an amazing message next week about receiving God's grace, expanding God's grace, what it meant, what it shook in that time. He changed everything. So I encourage you to come back. But today I want to pray for us. And I want us to respond to this message of grace that's offered. So Lord, I thank you this morning. Thank you for the purpose that you gave our lives from the moments we stepped onto this earth. 
God, thank you that you have seen everything that we have walked through. Jesus, you have seen it all. You have seen the depths. And that's exactly where you have reached to pull all of us out of our pit. Jesus, it's your grace that we want to extend to those around us and that we want to receive this morning. So God, I just pray for this morning. And I pray that you would bring fresh revelation of your grace. That people would encounter the fullness of grace and truth this morning and follow you. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You guys can stay.